Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Morning everyone, thank you very much. Uh, Great to see you. I was not here last week. I was down in Sutton actually, and um, this morning I got to miss the start because I was in Stockwell. These for, if you're a visitor here, these are two of our other services. So it's especially nice for me. I just feel like, it feels like coming home to the people that God has joined my heart with and vice versa and into the place that we're meant to be worshipping together. So uh, great to see you. It's been a great Sunday so far, apart from don't you hate the British summer when it isn't summer. So really sorry about the picnic thing. But we will, we, I don't know, uh, maybe someone said this already, but we want to do these at least monthly over the summertime. We so loved when we were meeting at St. Edmund the King, before we start, restarted Connect Groups, uh, I so loved, and I think I can say we so loved eating together just an hour or so beforehand. We're missing that, therefore, to be able to at least have a picnic on a regular basis and hang out and enjoy the British sunshine which we saw yesterday fleetingly, and no doubt we'll be back then. Uh, That'll be great. Uh, I want to uh, help us think about uh, the gift day today as uh, a staff team, as we've been praying about these next couple of weeks. And uh, I should say that we're praying for £150,000, given over the five different Christchurch London services over the next couple of weeks. So please join us in prayer for that. We're told, pray for your daily bread. So would you join me in praying for our daily bread as a church over these next couple of weeks? As a staff team, as we prayed about this, we've been reminded that actually, whilst giving is a thing, there's something which is much more important, and that is the giving of our hearts. And that, of course, is at the heart of our faith. So let me take you back to Christmas 1939. Christmas 1939. This is not a time where people are full of the festive feeling. Only a few months previously, Nazi Germany have invaded Poland. Within six months, the whole of Western Europe is going to be invaded. And the Allied forces are going to be huddled on a beach at Dunkirk. And this nation is going to, there's going to be a call for a national day of prayer that the whole army will not get wiped out. No one actually could tell what was to come. For although that was bad, much worse was to come. This city suffered the blitz. Bombs were raining, literally around where we're standing now. This was followed, of course, by six million Jews who lost their lives in the Holocaust. Before peace was declared, the first nuclear bombs had been used. And although no one knew that those things were going to happen, nonetheless, there was a great sense of apprehension and of course as we know the British monarch has this tradition that before Christmas every year they give a speech and on this year King George VI used it very effectively and powerfully he actually quoted a poem written by an academic who was here at the LSE uh, Minnie Louise Haskins and here's what she wrote and he quoted I said to the man at the gate of the year, give me a light that I might walk safely into the unknown. And he said to me, put your hand into the hand of God and it will be better than the light. 
and safer than the unknown. This was great advice for the nation at that point in time, but I want to suggest it's great advice for all of us now. We too are living in anxious times. Many people are apprehensive. But you know, even if we were not, these words by Minnie Louise Haskins echo the words of the Apostle Paul, which were written 2,000 years before. He actually put it more succinctly. Do you remember what he said? We walk by faith, not by sight. But going back to Louis Minnie uh, Hoskins, she was essentially saying, you don't get a light to tell you the future. Sorry. Put away your abacus. Don't rely on the futurologist. But rather put your hand in his hand and walk with the one who does know the future. So that is great advice for us all. And I want to take her advice, if you like, and extend it to an invitation. A reminder for all of us that if we're going to live the Jesus way and follow him, this is right at the heart of it is the giving of our hearts and following him. Here's the reading, ladies and gentlemen. So hold in mind, walk by faith, not by sight. This is uh, Elijah uh, in 1 Kings 17. Uh, Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've instructed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to a town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die." Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do what you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. And so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. Let's just quickly give a bit of context to this story. We all know the saying, speed of the leader, speed of the team. The way the leader lives shapes everybody else. This was definitely the reality here. For Ahab was king, and he was bad which meant that the nation as a whole was in a bad way. Here's what the writer uh, of 1 Kings, here's how he actually describes him. He says that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. If we read stories, Ahab, he marries Jezebel. The people of God are told, don't marry people who worship other gods. A family trying to worship more than one god is always going to be divided at some level. And yet Ahab ignores and he marries Jezebel, who's like the patron of the God of sexual attraction and of fertility. Not only does he worship her, but then he sets up a Baal 
uh, temple and uh, Asherah pole, right at the heart of where the uh, people of God worship. And then she says to him, don't just worship them, but remember, you're king. Use your strength to get what you want. And so she encourages him to use it to rob and to abuse the poor for his own benefit as a result. And so the writer to 1 Kings goes on and says that Ahab did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than all the kings of Israel before him. The nation was in a bad way. Elijah was its only hope. Elijah the prophet. Won't spend any time on this right now, but I think you'd agree with me that there's many ways this nation is facing serious challenges at this point in time. And we've not got an Elijah, but we do have the church. And just as the Elijah was the hope of God for the people at that time, so now the church of God is. And there are times where it's difficult. The people here in the middle of a three-year drought, Elijah was nowhere to be seen. He was running from rural spot to rural spot, not able to go into the cities, fearing for his life. There are times where even at times of great darkness, there is still hope and the hope resides in the people of God, both for individuals' personal destinies, but also for the role that we get to play in shaping society and being salt and light. Shaping a nation's destiny. And so Elijah's on the run, and Elijah's told, go to Zarephath and talk to a widow, and she'll feed you. And so we get to a conversation that we've just read about. And in this conversation, three important things happen, which I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about together. And those three things are firstly, a request that Elijah makes then a command that he gives via God's spirit, and then thirdly, a promise. A request, a command, and a promise. And I want to suggest they'll really help us as we approach these next couple of weeks and think about the gift date. What's the request? Well, Elijah comes to it and says, give me a piece of bread. Or initially he says, give me a drink. And she says, yes. And then he says, well, while you're getting the water, could you bring me some bread as well? And it's at this point that we suddenly see the fullness of this whole story. We understand what's going on. For she says, I don't have any bread. In fact, she said, I've got enough to bake one small meal. I'm going to feed my son. I'll have anything that's left over. And then we are going home to die. Not a situation that we can associate with easily. I doubt any of us have faced starvation, that probably none of us have looked at our child and seen the malnourished look on their face. But this was that lady. And as every mother knows, when your child is suffering, you want to prioritize them more than anything else. Elijah hears the words, we've got one meal left, then I'm going to die. Well, I don't know about you, but right then I would have backed down if I was Elijah. Okay, that's not where I'm getting my next meal from. There must be somebody else. But Elijah takes a different approach. He pushes it again. And he says to the woman, he says, give me a loaf of bread. Why does he do that? Well, the prophet, one of the things about a prophet is they tend to see right to the heart of things. And Elijah knows there is a deep and important lesson 
that this woman needs to learn as she faces the danger of death. And that lesson is essentially this, that if you're going to put your hand in the one who can walk you into the future, then you have to put them first before everything else, even before your own children. Now, this isn't just a crazy moment, a one-off in the Scriptures. Actually, right through the Bible, this principle comes out. Put him first. Put him f- you want to walk into the future? The news isn't going to help you. Put your hand in him and put him first. Here's how Solomon put it as he wrote the book of Proverbs. He said this in Proverbs 3 and verse 9. Honor the Lord your God with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. What's the first fruits? The first fruits is the first part of the crop. It's the part of the crop that you bring in on day one and maybe day two. And what Solomon is saying is before you get the whole crop in, give God the top, the best and the first. Now any farmer here, of which there's unlikely to be any, it being central London, but any farmer here would tell us that if you give the first of the crop before you've got the whole crop in, then it is a step of faith because you don't know what else is coming. Interestingly, and we'll come back to this, Solomon goes on, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. But it's not just Solomon who says this. Malachi, you'll remember, we'll look at Malachi next week. But he actually says when it comes, and he's talking about financial giving actually at the time. And Malachi says, God says, test me in this. It's the only time in the Bible, that we're told we can test God. So for those of us who like to push the boundaries a bit, then this is a good one to do it on. He says, test me in this, and what will happen? I will open the floodgates of heaven. Paul puts it similarly when he writes to the Corinthians, actually when he's going to take an offering to help the poor in Jerusalem. And this is what he says. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so when I come, no collection will have to be made. Now, why does Paul say this should be done on the first day of the week rather than the fifth day or the sixth day? Well, simply because there's not always something left on day five or six. Have you had that experience? Have you ever found that the money has run out before the month has run out? That's why Paul says, no, give at the start. And then we trust God for the rest. Now, this is different. Just to be clear, this is different from charity. Charity is a good thing. Charitable giving is a good thing. We will have all been accosted by people in tube stations or on corners with um, boxes. Sometimes they shake them and they want us to put, and you know, you put your hand in your pocket and you think, oh, what have I got? Have I got a few pennies I can give? That's charity. It's, it's sort of just giving a little bit here or there. It's giving out of what I've got left. This is different from that. This is giving before I know what I've got. Uh, Joe has already called out Vicky and Jared, who currently we can't see. They're hidden back here somewhere. So, but just to say, these guys, Vicky, uh, forgive me, Vicky, for doing this. 
Um, Vicky's my daughter, and these guys got married recently, which was all very exciting. So, nice little round of applause. So, here's the thing. Father of the bride. So, he's thinking. Why am I talking about myself in the third person? I'm thinking. <laughs> what do I say to my daughter and my son-in-law on the first day of their life together in my speech? How can I share something that just really matters? I said, you can imagine lots of things, but here's how I ended. I talked about the adventure that marriage is. The adventure, we all get to live a life of adventure with Jesus. With marriage, you get to live it with somebody else. I talked about that, and then I said, listen, I said, I would encourage you, and I just want to say this to everybody, I want to encourage you to decide to live in a way that Philippa and I have committed ourselves to and recommit ourselves to regularly. And that is this. Seek God first, and everything else gets added. It's the opposite of the way you'd expect it to be. And on a wedding day, you tend to think about the future, health, peace, prosperity. Let's go for those things. No, says Jesus. Go for me and you get everything else. That is essentially what Elijah is driving at with this woman at this point in time. And when we do, it softens our hearts and it enables us to worship. One friend of mine wrote this about his experience of a gift day a while ago now. He said this, I remember an occasion when we were approaching a special gift day in my church. As the time approached, the date of the gift day happened to closely coincide with the maturity date of an investment that I had made for seven years in an ISA. An ISA is a way of investing systematically without being charged tax, and the amount had accumulated and built well over the years. The gift day was approaching, and so was the maturity date for my ISA. One Sunday, my friend goes on, we were singing a beautiful worship song, that begins, I will worship you with all of my heart. We came to a line which says, I will trust you, give you everything. And as we sang it, I heard God speak into my spirit and say, thank you very much. I'll have the ISA. God was testing the sincerity of my worship. His grace softened my heart and released my personal grip on my investment. What a powerful story of worship. C.S. Lewis was once asked, if you're going to give as part of worship, how much should I give? It's a question that we all think about. Well, it's all very well, David. You're talking broad principles. Give me a figure. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. He said, I don't believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements and so on is up to the standard common amongst those with the same income as our own we're probably giving away too little so there was a request give me some food unsurprisingly it was followed by a command that was do not be afraid because when we put our hand into the hand of the one who knows the way into the future it can be a scary thing particularly for this mother with her son. Now, I want to remind you, whether you're here, whether you're at home, wherever you are listening to this this morning, I want to remind you that fear is the polar opposite 
of faith. You cannot live with faith and with fear with an issue at the same time. One or the other always shapes us. And the thing with fear is that it confuses us. I don't know about you, when I'm frightened, I've also found I can be very creative with the excuses that come. I find I can think of all sorts of reasons why I shouldn't do something. And as this woman is being asked by Elijah, I'm sure she would have been the same. She could have said, I'm an outsider. Uh, Elijah was outside Israel here. He was in Phoenicia by Sidon, just up in modern-day Lebanon. She could have said, I'm not part of the people of God. Why are you asking me? Why don't you go to those at the heart, at the core? I'm sure they can sort this out. But for whatever reason, God didn't do that. He was interested in the heart of the outsider. Maybe that's how you, maybe you would go, I'm, I feel I'd be an outsider in this context. God's as interested in your heart as he's interested in mine or Joe's or anyone else who's right at the center of things. Excuse doesn't wash. She could say, but I'm alone. Two incomes is easier to give than one. I'm by myself. Or she could, and maybe this would have been the most honest, powerful of all, she could have said, I am destitute. My cupboard is bare. She might have said, there's some wealthy people down in Sidon. Elijah, go down there and do a fundraising dinner or a gala. They'll sort you out. Now, what's interesting is that that is also not what we're talking about here. That's philanthropy. We do it. Many people do it here in London. It's for those who do have money at the end of the month and want to give. And we'll do so in galas and dinners and in other ways. That's a very good thing but it's not what we're talking about here. For whatever reason, God was interested in the heart of a destitute woman. He wasn't at this minute bothered about the wealthy in the nearest city. It's an amazing thing that all of us can get to play our part in keeping the hope of the nation healthy and strong and vibrant. So let me just ask you, before we look finally at the promise how are you doing in terms of fear versus faith? This may be in terms of finance and provision. It may be in terms of other things. We each have our own battles. and They change over time and over circumstance. How's it going for you in fear and faith? And do you need to make an exchange today? And do you need to swap the fear of the future with faith and trust in the future shaper and the future maker? Finally, there's a promise. Here's the promise that Elijah gives to the widow. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. And you know, that's amazingly exactly what happens. What an extraordinary experience it must have been for that woman. Going to the pot every day, lifting the lid. Is there going to be any flour today? I wonder how many times she took the jar out and just thought, there can't be anything left now. And she tipped it. She found there was another day. And there was enough for her, and there was enough for her son, 
and there was enough for Elijah as well. What an amazing experience. This is a theme that Paul picks up just as Solomon did. Remember, if you give of the first fruits, he says your barns will be filled to overflowing. Any farmer here will know, maybe there's a farmer watching online, that they want their barns to be overflowing. How do you do it? Not by maximizing the crop, but by giving the first of the crop. And your vats will brim over with new wine. Some of us will find that attractive too. Here's how Paul puts it, writing to the Corinthians. God is able to bless you abundantly. Why? So that you can enjoy your helicopter and your Rolls Royce? No. So that in all things at all times, having all that you need, so your needs are covered, you will abound in every good work. You will have all you need to serve others. So what does this mean? It is a promise that God blesses us so that we always have enough to share with others. Now this has been, Philip, from my experience. And we have lost count of the number of times in which we have given only to find that God has returned the amount or more often in entirely unexpected ways. They have included salary increases, tax rebates, upcoming bills being cancelled, one of my favourite, gifts from unexpected sources, and other ways that we've simply had no way of conceiving of prior to that. But we're not the only ones. We're not special. Or maybe it's better to say we're all special. Here's how a couple wrote to me ahead of one of our Christchurch London gift days. They said this, we're so excited about next Sunday. We were going to buy some new furniture for the kitchen, but we felt God say that we should give it to the offering. We can't wait to see what God is going to do. What I loved about that was that sense of excitement. You got this sense, and I talked to them about that, uh, about their sentiment later. What they said is we're excited about what God's going to do in the church as a result of our giving, but we're also excited about the way that God will, will, uh, will provide for us in terms of our kitchen furniture as well. Now, sometimes I've had, I've probably actually had more pushback on what I've just said, as I've taught it in Christchurch London, than anything else I've ever said. And here's, what people, here's the way people push back. It makes it sound, David, like a slot machine exercise. Give your money, you get back. Sort of some sort of mathematical formula. And all I can say is that's never how the Bible presents it. The Bible says this is a relationship. Put your hand in the hand of God. And then you'll find he will supply in one of two ways. He'll either supply materially Or at other times, he'll give you the grace to joyfully do without. And that is just as much of a miracle. Actually, sometimes that's more of a miracle than the material provision is. And just to say as well, of course, that this is not your way to the trust fund and the big house. This is to supply our needs. This widow had just enough to feed Elijah and her son and herself. But it is our needs that he promises to cover. So, 
In closing, what were the results? Well, the first thing is the lady and her son survived. They stayed alive. If they'd simply lived by maths alone, they wouldn't have made it. They had to trust in God. And by a step of faith, they survived the drought as a result. Not only that, but by giving and trusting, they received everything that they needed for as long as they needed. And therefore had the joy of experiencing God's provision. I imagine it was the highlight. It proved to be the highlight of her life. I don't know about in your family, but in our family from time to time, we have stories that the grandparents have told us. Or that parents tell, and they shape the family. I wonder, you can imagine, can't you, this lady, this widow of Zarephath, when she had grandchildren, can you imagine them gathering around her, climbing on her lap? Tell us the story of the flour and the oil again, Granny. I imagine that shaped a family for generations to come. It's still shaping the people of God today because of the way that one person lived. And an insignificant woman who was not, or I should say, a woman who could have regarded herself as insignificant and was not even part of the people of God, learned to live by faith and therefore played a role in saving the whole nation. No one would have given Elijah a lot of hope right then. A lot of people don't give the church a lot of hope right then. But she gave. And later in the story, we see the nation-changing role that Elijah gets to play. I want to finish with this story. Maybe that bank can come back. Some years ago now, uh, my father wanted to arrange a surprise birthday party for my mother's 65th birthday. And the easiest way to gather the whole family was actually to do it in London. He gave me a call. He said, David, could we do it at your house? I said, we'd be delighted to do that. I said, do you want us to cook? I heard an audible sigh of relief on the other end of the phone. Thank you. That would be great. But I insist, he said, that I cover all the costs. I said, okay, do you want to give me a budget? You know what my father said? I've so often thought about this since. He said, David, he said, it is your mother's 65th birthday. He said, the sky is the limit. And I've thought about that so many times since. I've thought about it in terms of the way that he loved his wife. And it's been an inspiration and a challenge for me. But also I've just, and my father is also, my fa I've learned a lot from my father about generosity. I'll actually, uh, next Sunday, I'll actually tell one or two stories of what my father has taught me. But this is one of them. He taught me that generosity is not, in the end, about the greenbacks. It's about the heart. And I want to encourage us, as we prepare for next week and the week after, my appeal to every single person listening to this is give your heart to God. Do not try and live with Sunday worship and then to live the way that everybody else lives. This is a call to a radical and an entirely different way of living. To put my hand in the hand of the one who is the master of the years and to trust him. So as we worship now, would you give your hearts afresh? And would you pray as we 
approach next Sunday and we approach the Sunday after. And we deliberately, we do it over two Sundays. In fact, there'll even be an opportunity to give a Sunday after that because we just know it's impossible to get everybody here every week. But you'll have an opportunity. Would you pray? And would you, more than anything, let's give our hearts to God and trust him for some of these wonderful stories that the widow at Zarephath experienced. Let's stand together.